Please take your Bibles and turn to the book of Exodus. If you're visiting with us, you can pull out that black Bible in the chair in front of you. <clears throat> find Genesis, which is the first book, and then Exodus, second book, and then find page 68 in that black Bible, 68. Exodus chapter 35, Exodus 35. Exodus chapter 35. I'm starting in verse one, then we'll actually go all the way to chapter 36, verse seven. Again, 68 in that black. Uh, we're coming to the end of Exodus, believe it or not. Excuse me, we'll be done in uh, two weeks. Wait, what? yeah, two weeks. Not including today, excuse me. And then uh, I'm gonna do a message from the book of Revelation, one message, and then we're gonna start a probably short series in the book of Joel. Uh, I need to do a prophetic book. I'd like to give you a good genre of scripture. So we've done Exodus, historical narrative, we're gonna do the book of Joel, and I think after that, I'll probably hit 2 Corinthians. I was trying to decide if I wanna do 2 Corinthians or Matthew, but I think I'll do 2 Corinthians. We'll do that, we'll do either one we'll probably I think we'll do 2 Corinthians and Matthew I thought about doing Matthew then 2 Corinthians but I think we'll flip it so that's kind of on the horizon so and then we'll be in 2 Corinthians for a while uh, but whatever one we start we'll definitely do the other 2 Corinthians and Matthew or Matthews so it kind of gives you what you, look, what you can look forward to two more weeks in Exodus a message in Revelation we'll do the book of Joel which will probably be like three or four messages maybe five and then we'll uh, hit, I think, like I'm 80% sure we'll go into Second Corinthians. But, rather, yeah, Exodus chapter 35, uh, starting in verse one. Then Moses assembled the congregation of the sons of Israel and said to them, these are the things that Yahweh's commanded you to do. For six days work may be done, but on the seventh day you shall have a holy day, a Sabbath of complete rest to Yahweh. Whoever does any work on it shall be put to death. You should not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings on the Sabbath day. And Moses said to all the congregation of the sons of Israel, saying, This is the thing which the Lord has commanded, saying, Take from among you an offering to Yahweh, whoever is of a willing heart, and bring it as Yahweh's offering, gold, silver, bronze, blue, purple, scarlet, linens, goats, hair, ramskins, tashish leather, acacia wood, oil for lighting, and spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, verse 9, and onyx stones and setting stones for the ephod and the breastpiece, verse 10, let every skillful man among you come and make all that Yahweh's commanded, the tabernacle, its tent and its covering, its hooks and its frames, its crossbars, its pillars and its bases, the ark and its poles, the atoning place and the curtain of the screen, the table and its poles and its utensils, the bread of the presence, the lampstand also for the light and its utensils and its lamps and the oil for the light and the altar of incense and its poles and the anointing oil and the fragrant incense and the screen for the doorway at the entrance of the tabernacle. The altar of burnt offering with its bronze grating, its poles, its utensils, the basin, its stand, the hangings of the court, its pillars, its bases and the screen for the gates of the court, the pegs of the tabernacle, the pegs of the court and their cords, Woven garments for ministering in the holy place, the holy garments for Aaron the priest, and the garments of his sons to minister as priests. Then, verse 20, all the congregation of the sons of Israel departed from Moses' presence. And everyone whose heart stirred him, and everyone whose spirit moved him, came 
and brought Yahweh's offering for the work of the tent of meeting and for all its service and for all its holy garments. Then all whose hearts moved them, both men and women, came and brought brooches and earrings and signet rings and bracelets, all articles of gold. So did every man present an offering of gold to Yahweh. And every man who had in his possession blue, purple, scarlet, fine linen, goat's hairs, skins, tatious leathers, brought them. Everyone who could make an offering of silver and bronze brought Yahweh's offering. And every man who had in his possession acacia wood for any work of the service, they brought it. And all the skilled women, wise women, spun with their hands and brought what they'd spun, blue, purple, scarlet, linens. And all the women whose hearts stirred with the skill spun the goat's hair. And the rulers brought the onyx stones and the stones for setting for the ephod and for the breast piece and the spice and the oil for the light and for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense. The Israelites, all the men and women whose heart moved them to bring material for the work, for all the work which Yahweh commanded through Moses to be done, brought a freewill offering to Yahweh. Verse 30. Then Moses said to the sons of Israel, See, Yahweh has called by name Bezalel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur of the tribe of Judah. And he has filled him with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all craftsmanship to make designs for working in gold and silver and in bronze and the cutting of stones for settings and the carving of wood so as to perform in every inventive work. He also has put in his heart to teach both he and Oholiab, the son of Hesamach of this tribe of Dan. He has filled them with wisdom to do every work of an engraver and of a designer and of an embroiderer and blue and pur- purple and scarlet and linens and of a weaver as performers of every work and makers of designs. Now Bezalel and Aholiab and every wise person in whom Yahweh has put wisdom and understanding to know how to do all the work in the construction of the sanctuary shall perform in accordance with all that Yahweh has commanded. Verse 2 of chapter 36. Then Moses called Bezalel and Aholiab, and every wise person in whom Yahweh has put wisdom, everyone whose heart stirred him to come to work to perform it. And they received from Moses all the offerings which the sons of Israel had brought to do the work in the construction of the sanctuary. And they still continue bringing to him free will offerings every morning. And all the wise men who were doing all the work of the sanctuary came, each from the work which he was doing, and they said to Moses, the people are bringing much more than enough for the construction work which Yahweh commanded us to do. Verse 6, so Moses issued a command, and proclamation was circulated throughout the camp, saying, let neither man nor woman any longer perform work for the contributions or offerings of the sanctuary. Thus the people restrained from bringing more. For material that was sufficient and more than enough for all the work to do it. This past Thursday, this event took place 100 years ago. There was an article in Euro News, it's titled like this, Your World War I Mission Quickened the Americans' Enthusiasm for the War. It recounts, this article recounts the story of a British Army officer sent to the U.S. to quicken the interests and enthusiasm of the American people for World War I. So that took place. He stepped on American soil 100 years ago from this past Thursday. The, the, the cool part is the person who was telling the story in the article was the grandson of Major L. Gordon Sanford. He was an Australian 
who had fought with the British army in France and Belgium, and he was injured, he duly sailed to New York. He was one of several officers sent to the United States to help raise money for World War I, which America had joined the previous year. And he had to do that because enthusiasm for the war had waned. People were getting tired of it. He spoke about the horrors of those over there. He said, quote, if you want the most of your vast army to come home, the more you support them with your money and your sacrifices of food, the shorter will be this terrible war, end quote. And terrible it was. I mean, what is it? Uh, I think overall throughout the world, 18 million people died from World War I. In the U.S., not as much, 116,000 or so lives were lost. Interesting to get people enthusiastic about a war. If you can get people enthusiastic about a war, don't you think you can get people enthusiastic about love? You would think, right? I mean, what would you be more enthusiastic about, love or war? I kind of go for not war, but love. That's kind of what I would do. And this is actually what you see here. You actually see people motivated because of love. And, and as Exodus, you see on the screen, Exodus is really the Christian life displayed through historical narrative. What kind of life is it? From this passage we'll see, it's a passionate, enthusiastic, Lord, you have my all life. That's the kind of life it is. The type of Christian life we're talking about here is an enthusiastic, passionate, Lord, you have my all kind of life. That's Christianity. Statements for you. When we rest in Christ and his faithful love, we're passionately and enthusiastically motivated to give him our all and minister. Or another uh, way to put it, when we trust, truly trust God, we will give ourselves to him with passion and be ready to move to serve and minister in his work. See, you have to, you have to take this passage in its context, the trajectory of Exodus. It started out that people were in slavery, right? And the Exodus takes place. God delivers them, redeems them. And they come to the wilderness, they have the law, they're given the law. This is the covenant, how they're supposed to live, the relationship that they have with God. Well, then it mars it. How? The golden calf. So God's about to... Uh, Cut them off. They've broken the covenant. But what does Moses do? He intercedes for them. Moses is a picture of Jesus interceding for us. And your God listens to Moses. The Father listens to Jesus who intercedes for us. And he shows us grace, mercy, forgiveness, and love. So the covenant is renewed. So people, there's repentance from the people. They're broken over their sin and then they're Wow, they're responding to God. Wow, he shows us such amazing grace and mercy. Oh, here, you have everything from me. Here. That's the whole flow of context. That's when we come to this part in Exodus. This is why this passage is not just about serving or give money. That's not what it's about. It goes deeper than that. 
We should want the presence of Christ, to focus on Christ, to center on Christ. See, when we do, there's passion. And friends, if there's no passion, then you're not focusing on Christ. This means that focusing on Christ and his love for us is key to us being passionate to serve, to minister, to care, to give. The prosperity preachers take this and they twist it to do their own thing and yet they rip it out of context to try and make it so that this is about you got to give money. No, no. You missed the whole point of the passage. You give your life because you're so struck by God's mercy towards you. That was in chapter 34, remember? That was just a couple weeks ago that we looked at that. Giving and working were both important to build and maintain the place of Yahweh's dwelling. But here you see the people, they were enthusiastically excited to give towards the project and work to build it because God has been so gracious to them. Passion, ministry, serving takes its place, begins down here, starts here with focusing on Christ. If the focus is not on Christ, then... That's why there's no passion. That's why there's no enthusiasm. That's why there's no excitement. So I got three points for you. This is kind of the order that I've been putting it for you. Rest, give, move. Rest, give, move. First point, rest. This is weird. The first thing that needs to happen, we rest or trust in Christ. He's our focus. It's weird because they bring up the Sabbath. Why does he do this? That's odd. The weirdest, most peculiar part of this whole section is remembering the Sabbath. Verse 1 through 3. For six days work may be done. Verse 2. On the seventh day you shall have a holy day. Why why, why repeat this? And the consequences. If you're working on a Sabbath, um, you're going to die. Well, that's kind of serious. Why? It's worth noting something. The command to keep the Sabbath happened just before and just after the golden calf. Chapter 32 of Exodus. Chapter 31, verse 12 through 17. Talks about the remembering the Sabbath. Golden calf, 32. God's mercy, grace, what? And then here again, it's, it's... Recounted, restated. Remember the Sabbath. Why? It's because the Sabbath is a key to understanding Exodus chapters 32 to 34. As a matter of fact, excuse me, the Sabbath is key to understanding the whole book of Exodus. You might say, what do you mean? Sabbath pointed to obtaining rest in Yahweh's presence. That's, that's, that's why there's Sabbath. It's about trusting Yahweh to provide and that he'll be faithful to provide for his people exactly what they need. This is why you would celebrate Sabbath. And this idea, that idea that I have right here before you, before you that statement, that was challenged when the garden goes all the way back to Genesis chapter three. The fact that God's presence is with his people and we trust him to provide. He'll be faithful to give us everything we need. That was challenged by the evil one. 
You're not going to die. God knows in the day you eat of it, you'll be just like him. Durr. I mean, come on. He's holding out on you. He's not providing for you. God's a jerk. Take that fruit, girlfriend. Come on. He's holding out on you. That was challenged in Genesis chapter three. But see, Exodus marks, well, actually Genesis chapter four, but Exodus is really the, the beginning of God regaining paradise. Exodus is the beginning of that really, really happening. Because here you have these people, he's gonna build this sanctuary, God's gonna dwell with his people. Why, 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 what's the whole point of this? Because there's gonna be a regaining of paradise. That's what Exodus is all about. Exodus, Exodus was the beginning of God's plan to restore humanity to its place where they can enjoy and delight in their creator with total pleasure and satisfaction. That idea was challenged in the garden by the serpent. Israel's hope to enter the sanctuary of the promised land was God's step to making things right in the world. In God's presence, they enjoyed his rest. Uh, But this promise was put in jeopardy. Why? Because they worshiped this golden calf thing. Exodus chapter 32. Uh, Yet, because of Moses' intercession, the possibility of enjoying his presence was open to Israel once again. The covenant was renewed. And he says, I'm gonna go with you. I'm gonna be with you. You'll enter my rest. So it was pertinent for them to understand that ceasing from labor and depending upon Yahweh was essential for them to truly comprehend the true meaning of having Yahweh's presence. Yahweh would provide. He would be faithful. That's the reason why you sang that song, right? Great is thy faithfulness. They were called to rest in him, to trust in him, to believe him, taking him at his word that he truly loves his people. He says, I do. And the temptation, the temptation today, even today, is to find our enjoyment or satisfaction elsewhere. Is that not the heart of addictions? Is that not the heart of alcoholism or drunkenness? Is that not the heart of drug abuse? Is it not? It's looking for satisfaction and enjoyment in something else or someone else. Is that not the heart of idolatry? It is. No. Enjoyment and satisfaction is found in God alone. So what about us? Do we trust God will provide? Do we rest in him? Do we trust he'll be faithful? He calls us to rest in him, to trust in him, to take him at his word. Do you enjoy your creator or are you looking elsewhere? You can only do it through the Lord Jesus Christ. You can only do it through the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the catalyst because we're sinners and we deserve his judgment and yet he sends Jesus who's the fulfillment of the promise of God being faithful and who died for sinners. He died in the place of all those that repent and put their trust in him alone. Do you see? Do you see the gospel here? Yahweh commanded them this whole thing as a way to call Israel to join him in this Sabbath rest. rest. So much so that's why he even says in verse three, you shall not kindle a fire in any of your dwellings. 
As I rested after creation, so I want you to rest because you should know that your rest should be found in me, says the Lord. I'm your rest. I'm your joy. It's a reminder that their relationship with Yahweh was not because of the tabernacle, but because they trusted and obeyed him. It wasn't about the thing. And yet Israel could not get that through their heads. Because what did they do? 1 Samuel chapter three. Oh, I know. We can beat the Philistines if we bring the Ark of the Covenant. Let's bring the Ark of the Covenant. And they won, right? No, they lost. And then what did the Philistines do? They took the Ark. Because Israel could not get through their heads. They think it's the thing. Oh, we're not like that though, are we? No, no, no. We don't do that. We do. We think it's stuff. We think it's things. It's not about the stuff being holy. It's about showing their commitment to Yahweh by how they live their lives. Rest in Him. In spite of all the work they needed to do, no construction was to be done on the Sabbath. Don't do construction. I'm doing the Lord's work, brother. No, you ain't. Actually, they get a stone. Yahweh wanted them to love him. The Sabbath reminded them of the covenant relationship they had with Yahweh. So they were called to be holy and to trust him to provide for their needs. This is a big deal. I mean, you, 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 know, you had to work seven days a week. You didn't get a weekend. There was, there was no such thing as weekends in the ancient Near East. There was no weekend. You worked all the time. Because you don't work. And you, of some of you f- farmers, right? You don't oh, take the day off for milking the cow. Right? You don't do that. You don't take the day off. You go milk the cow. You had to work. This is how, Sabbath was how they showed they trusted God. They trusted, oh, excuse me, they trusted God, they trusted his provision, and they were distinct from the other nations. Well, that's weird. That, that country, they don't, they, don't, they, 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 don't, they don't work on that day. I wonder why. That's weird. And see, this is so important. This theme of Sabbath and what it means is so important because people, like yesterday, at certain facilities, think that Saturday or even Sunday, that's now the Sabbath. Sunday's now Sabbath. Or you're supposed to keep the Sabbath, right? Sabbath was not about setting aside a day to attend worship services. Israel was called to worship Yahweh every day, not just Saturday. So that blows up, that blows up that idea. Their relationship with Yahweh wasn't affirmed by building a tabernacle. It was trusting and obeying Yahweh as their God. You, you, you gotta get this. This is key to understanding the book of Exodus, key to understanding the whole meta-narrative of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. Because what, do, what does it say in Revelation? In me, they find their rest. That's the point. Regaining paradise. And you see this happening through real historical events by people building something. God's trying to get them 
to think about the future. It was about displaying they were holy, distinct, separate. They were called to be pure. They were called to be different. You're my distinct, different people and you must trust me, Yahweh, to provide for your needs. That's why he mentioned that in uh, Exodus chapter 19. You're my distinct, holy, separate people from the other nations. So, so the theme of Sabbath is key to Exodus. And, so, and when we come to this, we always think, oh, there's such a burden, that's horrible, the Sabbath. It wasn't a burden. Don't read it like that. Take those glasses off and put on New Testament glasses. It was not a burden. It was a reminder that they were God's chosen people. They would be the ones God chose to have his presence. It was always, always God's intention for us to know, worship, enjoy, and love him. And this was the way he was gonna do it. It's always been God's intention. And this would be seen by just simple ordinary daily acts or act of keeping the Sabbath and resting. It's not about having some spectacular event with God. It wasn't about that. God wants to focus on him even in the simple, ordinary things of life. Daily, moment by moment. Rest. And when you rest, you give. That's the next part. 35, 4 through 29, and 36, 4 through 7. And here's a statement we have to keep keeping this in context. When we repent and look to or focus on Christ, the Father promises his unceasing, never ending, gracious, merciful love in his Son. And it's at this point where we rest in him, we give to him what is most valuable to us, and we're ready to serve, work, and minister. This is the context of this whole. Them, of them giving or their offering to God. Moses lists it out from verse four and lists it out all the way to verse 19. There's three different categories, currency, which is precious metals, fabric, clothing. Second, things made by Israel themselves. And third, things that could spoil, they were hard to carry because they were large quantities. But all of this, notice, was of high value. I mean, you didn't just give chump change type stuff. You don't build this from cheap stuff, guys. That's what Yahweh was saying. But notice also, uh, verse five, take from among you an offering to Yahweh, whoever is of a willing heart. You see that? Now jump to verse 21. Everyone whose heart stirred him. Everyone whose spirit moved him. Verse 22, then all whose hearts moved them, they were stirred, they were excited. They departed and they got busy. Notice they gave with eagerness and excitement. The tent of meeting would be well built versus the whole throwing stuff together for the golden calf. Remember that? They kind of just threw something together. That's it. It would be well built by the people who knew what they were doing and cared about it. They were excited. They were like, yeah, there's passion. I mean, in short, uh, the people were enthusiastic and giving. Look, when we're broken over our sin, which brings confession and repentance, God grants us his gracious, merciful forgiveness. Then he renews us to make us into a loving, enthusiastically giving people. That's what you see here. That's 
the trajectory. That's this passage in context. They're so struck by God's gracious mercy to them. They're, they're, they're so struck that he renewed the covenant with them. They're so struck and overwhelmed that God was gonna be with them. His presence, rest, remember that point? His presence is rest. They were so struck by that. So that's why they're like, yeah, we wanna be a part of this. Which is why I mentioned earlier, that's why this passage is not just about serving. It's about giving. It goes deeper than that. We, we need to see it in a larger context. We want the presence of Christ to focus on Christ, to center on Christ, and when we do, there's passion. Friends, if there's no passion, then maybe you're not focusing on Christ. Because when we repent and look to Christ, we see the Father promises his unceasing, never-ending, gracious, merciful love and his eternal Son, and we're overwhelmed by that. So then we say, God, you have my all. You have my all. When God in his grace moves hearts, it brings about this kind of giving. Generous, enthusiastic, excited giving. Our mindset is this. How can I serve? In what capacity? Not with a spiteful attitude, but with obedience, with love, enthusiasm, passion. God, you have my all. Thus the title. Passionate, enthusiastic, Lord, you have my all. Life. That's the Christian life. It's not dreary. As one person says in their song, uh, the God I know is into having fun. What God is that? So you can spend on your pleasures? Well, then you don't know the God that I know. When we see our sinfulness, our rebellion, our idolatry, our proneness to wander, our defiance, our true wretchedness, we plead for mercy, we embrace the fact that we have it in Christ, and we live our lives with a whole new identity. God loves me and his son, I'm resting in him, I'm gonna give, I'm gonna move. That's the principle of the gospel. That's the gospel principle, is it not? When, I, when a person comes to a place where I see my wretchedness, I see I should be condemned, and yet I see the grace of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, I repent and I rest in you, so I'm giving you my life. Right? And then I'm gonna move, I'm gonna serve. I'm gonna, I'm gonna that's one part of this. That's, that's the gospel principle. That's why if you're here, you don't know Christ, you need to understand that's the gospel principle where you see your sin and you have to rest in the Lord Jesus Christ and you give him your all. You have me. And notice, uh, jump into chapter 36, verse four through seven. You know, Moses lists all out and then verse, uh, excuse me, 20 through 29, you know, all this is happening, right? No, 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 everybody's doing this. They're, they're giving, they're giving. And then look at 36, verse four. The wise men, they're doing all the work. They come to Moses, verse five. Um, the people are bringing too much stuff. Time out, time out, tell them to stop. So Moses issues a proclamation, verse six. Stop it, no more. That's the paraphrased version, right? So people were strained. What does that tell you? The people were so excited and enthusiastically willing they had to be told to stop giving. The people weren't conjoled. They weren't browbeaten, as they do the prosperity gospel preachers. They didn't have a three-part sermon series on giving. 
I was criticized when I first came here 12 years ago. You should do a sermon series on giving. I said, I am not going to do a sermon series on giving. If it comes up in the passage, then I'll deal with it. I'm not going to do that. That's ridiculous. But they weren't lazy either. They weren't lazy to do the work. They gave and they worked. That's kind of the next part. We'll see that in just a moment. Notice how Exodus celebrates this response from Israel. We, we like to look at the negative. Oh, look at Exodus chapter 32, the golden calf. Oh, well, look at this part though. Isn't this cool? A response from enthusiastic, excited, passionate giving people. Excited, enthusiastic, passionate people because of what God has called them to do because of what God has given to them. He gave them grace, mercy, compassion. It's a response to the gospel. Because of the gospel. Because a sinner is just so overwhelmed by God's merciful grace. That's the gospel principle. A response of trusting God, you're enthusiastic, there's passion giving, and then, of course, right? Move. Move, or work, or serve, or minister, however you want to put that. I like the word move. That's what you see in chapter 35, verse 30, all the way to chapter 36, verse 3. These skilled men, Bezalel, Oholiab, there were just two of them. It wasn't just them. Because if you look in verses 10 through 29, you have the women, they were, they, were, they were spinning stuff from the threads, right? From the linens, they were putting things together. They're involved. People, everybody's working. Now we're going to see that more next week. And that's going to be the aspect of obedience. But notice that God, he chose these men who were highly skilled, but they were also empowered by God. From verse uh, 30, excuse me, verse 31. He filled them with the spirit of God and wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all craftsmanship that tells us Yahweh did not choose unskilled workers and then uh, supernaturally empower them. On the flip side, though they were skilled, these men needed to be empowered by God. So you have both aspects. Guys that were skilled, wisdom, those abilities that they had, but then second, just as well, God empowered them to do the work that he wanted them to do. He empowered them. So, God uses the abilities we have for his own glory and we're so in need of him to empower us to do what he's called us to do. Which I'm going to see that more next week, true. But we've got to see this here now. Um, we use what we have for God's glory and mission. Once we come to the place where we rest in God or trust in God, we'll give to him and then we'll get to work We'll be ready to minister. We want to minister. We want to serve. But see, it doesn't start there. It starts here. Rest in Christ. You're awestruck. You're dumbfounded. You're overwhelmed by God's mercy and grace to you. It starts there. The focus, the the central aspect is Jesus Christ and who he is. So you can say, Lord, I give you my whole life. That's where it begins. That's where it's here. Not, 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 not there. Here. So, to repeat, when we rest in Christ and His faithful love, we're passionately, enthusiastically motivated to give Him our all to minister. When we truly trust God, we will give ourselves to Him with passion and be ready to move to serve and minister in His work. That's the truth. That's what you see. As we see this through New Testament glasses. Let's take a moment. Let's pray.
Father, we do thank you and we praise your name for your mercy and your grace that you give to us. We know how much we need you to give us your grace. We know how much we need you to give us your goodness because we're people who lack grace. We're people who lack goodness big time. And yet we see it at the cross. We see it in Christ. But we want to be Christians. We want to be a people who are different, distinct, separate, who rest in you, Lord Jesus. We give you our lives, everything, our time, resources, whatever. And we begin to serve, minister, care for each other. Help us to make first things first, which is you, Jesus, being our first love. You, Jesus, being our focus. You, Jesus, being our all. If you would take some time, next few minutes, to ponder, to think what we've seen from the book of Exodus. And after a few moments where we can have silence for you to ponder, we'll do our time of giving where you can give. And we'll do our time of singing where you can sing from your heart and your soul. And we'll pray. We can pray in your spirit. And then we'll eat. Asking you, Father, to bless our food. We'll eat, enjoy company, and conversations to encourage each other. But let this few moments be a time for you to ponder.